0: Two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one yard line.
1: How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh.
0: We are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the week 13 Friday show. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs. Joining me to break down all of the games coming up this weekend is Chris Raybon, a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bet on ESPN Plus. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, last week you were on the Wednesday show. We had an abbreviated schedule because of Thanksgiving. This week your Monday co-host Ian Harditz joined Peter Jennings and Sean Corner and me on the Wednesday show. Everyone should check that out on the Action Network NFL podcast. Please rate and review the show. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Chris, let's jump into it. No bye weeks this week. So we have a full slate. The the first time in a couple months we've had the the full 13 game main slate and then obviously Sunday night football. So a lot of ground to cover. Let's just jump into it. Uh, We have our Opening first and five segment, we're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app, the games that have the highest take accounts. And the first one, oh man, the Chiefs at the Raiders. Chiefs favored by 14.5, a 55.5 over under. Kansas City is coming off the bye right now. They are the number one seed in the AFC, and the Raiders are just one of the stone worst teams in the league. What are your thoughts on this game?
2: I mean, this is a mismatch. You know, Andy Reid coming off a bye always a a well-prepared coach going against a team that obviously has nothing to play for I mean they're they're running out guys who I I would bet the average listener couldn't name more than uh like four of the Raiders skill position players right now I mean they have all sorts of things going on it's it's getting ugly out there but at the end of the day you know as betters, we're not supposed to bet teams we're supposed to bet numbers really right and this this number is too high for me it's 14 and a half spread for the in favor of the Chiefs I think there's value on the Raiders there I think you bet the Raiders if you bet this game at all if you look at home underdogs of seven or more points late in the season so that's like just December January 63 and 44 with four pushes against the spread that's 58.9 percent since 03 and if you're betting against teams with a like a 80 percent win percentage or more so like really good teams that the public likes 123-95-2 123-95-2 and two against the spread in these spots. So this is just a classic case of where you have to kind of fade your biases I think about the two teams that play because you know more than anyone I love Patrick Mahomes and I love the Chiefs but um, and I dislike the Raiders but I think in this spot you have to go with the value and take Oakland.
0: Yeah, I mean here's the thing like I know you're right from the bookmaker perspective and the handicapping perspective like I know you're right this line it, it feels high but like isn't it like it's high for a reason like the Raiders (laughs) they're horrible like they're in total tank mode they are 30th in terms of DVA 30th against the run and the pass they have the worst combination or one of the worst combinations of like uh defensive leanings that any team has in the league and from from the perspective of just looking at their against the spread performance this year. They are the worst team in the league. Not only do they have the worst record, like three and eight, but they have the worst margin on a week-to-week basis. Like on average, they are underperforming the spread by 8.18 points. That's the worst in the league. If I had to choose a side, I, I guess I would just stay away. There's no way <laughs> you could convince me to, to bet on the Raiders, even though I know that's like the the sharp side on this.
2: All right, two things, two things. Number one, I know you uh, spent some time actually tracking – the uh, performance uh, you know implied versus uh, actual um do you know if there is any type of like adjustment being made as the season progresses like aka like all right let's say a team you know for the first eight weeks underperforms their implied total by x amount of points is that something that tends to carry over i'm just wondering because you kind of made me think about like okay you know the raiders have been the worst team against the spread they're not covering by the highest margin so i'm guessing i would just guess that bookmakers are actually building that into the the future lines which is why this spread is so high in the first place when it maybe it should just be you know the flat out 14 or something like that
0: yeah so that's a good question what i should say is that my answer is going to be very anecdotal (laughs) it kind of it points in different directions because i i have kind of that I've accumulated on this for a few seasons. And then obviously in the Bet Labs database, we have much more data, but kind of like the granular data of looking at things week to week. I think bookmakers are actually pretty slow to adjust mm-hmm. some of their lines. And then I think in certain situations, it's almost like they flip a switch And it's very predicated based on what happened the week before, so I I think it's it's actually bifurcated. It's either based on like what happened the week before, where they can they know that they can shade in one direction, or and I should just before I go to the or I should just say like whatever Scooch says on the Favorites podcast. Obviously, just listen to him about what it is that (laughs) bookmakers do. But like so, either they can shade based on what happens the week before, or you do have a situation where you have a team that is just so gnarly for so long, and you could see situations like that with the Browns in previous seasons. Like a team that is just so bad for such a a huge chunk of the season that in the second half of the year, they do start to shade the lines more heavily because they know that people are either going to be betting against them or you maybe have a situation on the opposite end, like the Saints this year or like the Rams last year where teams are just overperforming, really crushing expectations uh, so they can skew more. And so I would say you have like that situation here in this game where you have Kansas City on one side just crushing and you have the Raiders on the other side, just absolutely like the worst team in the league. So, yeah, like I would say like this line looks high, but you still could not convince me to bet on the Raiders. (laughs) Because like if I lost, it would be like, you know what? Like I bet on the Raiders like an idiot. No one should ever bet on the Raiders.
2: Those are my – those I believe on this very podcast, we were in like opposite seats. And those are my famous last words before betting on the Vikings to cover (laughs) against the Buffalo Bills way back in week three. I learned my lesson. I'm sticking with Oakland here. Thank you, Action Network.
0: Yeah, uh, no way I can do Raiders. What I can do, what I can do for my pick is obviously mm-hmm. take the uh, the total with Kansas City thirty five and a half. They've hit their implied total eight times out of eleven games. They have the highest margin uh, at eight point two three points uh, on average. And then you have on the other side of that the Raiders, uh, one of the worst teams in the league at allowing teams to hit their implied total. So I am comfortable with that.
2: To play devil's advocate, real quick, you think the Raiders are absolutely the Stone Cold worst team in the league, or or you, you you consider the Arizona Cardinals in that category as well? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: I think I think they suck about equally. I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to try to split that um, because that, you that, that know. Item, but I'm
2: just saying, you know, the Oakland Raiders did beat the Arizona Cardinals, who did cover against the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, that's the, all that's fair. Think, I
0: think the Raiders and the Cardinals are, are pretty much tied for, for the worst team. Uh, it's going to uh, be terrible. Okay, let's, let, let's terrible. move this. Let's move this. They're, the
2: gonna, they're not going to score, are they? They're yeah. not going to score a point. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> the Colts at the Jags. Colts favored by four, a 47-point over-under. The Colts have won five games in a row, and the Jags are just going in the opposite direction. They've lost seven in a row. they fired their offensive coordinator, and they've demoted franchise quarterback Blake Bortles to the second string. I mean, really, what do you have to say about
2: this game? I mean, you know what's crazy is, like, you know, I was one of those people I – didn't, I didn't hate Blake Bortles as much as, like, the average person. I was like, okay, you know, Jacksonville kind of built this roster that – like, de emphasize the quarterback at, like, the perfect time, which was 2017. And that time has passed very quickly now. Passing numbers are at an all-time high. Uh, The best teams have good quarterbacks. But in terms of this game, no contrarian uh, contrarian strategy here for me. Like the Colts, this number, I think the number should be even higher. But, of course, you know, they're on the road. Andrew Luck sometimes turns the ball over along with his, you know, three touchdown passes that we can come to expect from him every game. But, I really worry here in this one about the Jaguars' red zone offense because they rank 24th in red zone offense coming into this game. And that was after a three-game stretch these last three weeks with Leonard Fournette back when he's by himself, single-handedly scored five touchdowns for them in the red zone. So Leonard Fournette goes five of five or five of whatever he goes, and yet they're still ranked 24th in the red zone. And they're facing a Colts team that is top 10 in red zone defense. So it's like, how does this team score points? Because those five touchdowns from Fournette accounted for more than a quarter of their season total on offense of touchdowns, period. They only have 19 offensive touchdowns this year. Five were scored in the last three games by Fournette. And then on the, like, you have Cody Kessler, who, you know, weak arm guy. You have your most – probably your most explosive player or one of your top two guys, uh, Keenan Cole, not even a full-time player anymore. Uh, you got Carlos Hyde, who long run of 11 yards since he came to the team, long run of 22 for the season on well over 100 carries between the Jags and the the Browns. So it's like if they can't score in their red zone and they can't generate explosive plays or they don't have the personnel in this game to really generate explosive plays, I just – I don't see how the Jags are scoring, so I, you know, I, I think the Colts just win this game. I don't know where the total falls if the Colts put up a ton of points or not. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel as confident about that, but I feel good about the Colts with a pretty good margin of victory here.
0: Yeah, I agree. And one thing that I think also factors into this, Jalen Ramsey on Wednesday he didn't practice at all. Still waiting to see what happened on Thursday, but uh, I don't believe he practiced on Thursday either.
2: Did you see that Ringer article, I think it was, where they went through every, uh, every like, thing he said about quarterbacks who he's actually faced <laughs> this year, and it was like he's, like, 1 in 10 in terms of, like, essentially eating crow. Yeah. Like, every quarterback he dissed, the team either lost to or he got he had a bad game or gave up a touchdown or something like that. So good. Yeah,
0: I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. Everything you said, I agree with. I'm picking Indy minus four. The one thing that I think potentially could be good coming from the, the quarterback switch – Kessler does have a weak arm, but I think he's much more accurate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that could result in, you know, just if anything, like maybe more receptions for some of the receivers. The receivers, I think, you know, their salaries have dropped down throughout the course of the season. D.D. Westbrook is someone who, I mean, you you can't play him in DFS, but he's (laughs) someone who's like, he's intriguing to me. Like, like long-term, like I think he's a really intriguing player and I would like to see him have a shot with a good quarterback. So you know, I don't know if Kessler's that guy, but uh, like I feel confident that Blake Bortles isn't. So we
2: might as well see what someone else can do,
0: and you know, maybe at some point things can work out for some of those receivers there.
2: Yeah, I, you and I are both on the same page with Westbrook, but you know, it's I'm I'm just glad the Jaguars haven't had any one game showdown slate, so I don't have to spend uh, like you said, <laughs> like like hours just like diving in because like oh my god, this the Saints game that that this past Saints Cowboys game. I mean, they have literally. Fifteen different guys that could catch a touchdown in a game. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just the worst.
0: Yeah. Uh, when Zach Line scores two <laughs> touchdowns, everyone is going to be so excited. I wrote him up.
2: I wrote yeah. him up. He, yeah. He's
0: mentioned. He's in there. Yeah, I you've can't got Not even any
2: stone unturned. Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. Uh, okay. Next game, the Rams at the Lions. I mean, we have a lot. This is. It's a really intriguing slate. A lot of road favorites in this slate. Rams favored by ten. A fifty-five point over/under. The Rams are coming off the bye. The Lions have lost four of their last five games. Man, what what are you doing with this
2: game? I mean, I feel like this is just a carbon copy of the, the, the Raiders and yeah. uh, and Chiefs game. And even down to, like, you know, I think it was two years ago. Like, a lot of people know me only as that guy that was, like, all in on Todd Gurley after he had, like, two yards of carry or something like that. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, a carbon copy of these teams – from every aspect of it for me. And again, you know, love the Rams, love Sean McVay. And you know, I think on this pod, I've been against the Lions a few times since Golden Tate. Just a completely different offense, just like the whole complexion of the offense changed. And like, this, this is with Galladay generally balling out. out. Like, you know, like Galladay is the real deal. And now no Marvin Jones. Right. And that, that really hurts because you need that another deep threat to now open things up for Gallaudet and to give Stafford at least some semblance of space because Golden Tate just kind of created that space for himself. And then Tate plus Marvin Jones is just, it just stretched the defense uh, so much more, you know, Stafford. Don't like that he's just had to uh, kind of hold the ball waiting for guys to get open a lot longer or kind of resort to this overly dink and dunk style where it's not really efficient at all. It's just like an Eli Manning thing. So don't like it, but we have seen Detroit kind of stick close with a couple of teams. I believe it was the Seattle Seahawks who they they stuck close with recently. Yeah. 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 So we've seen, we've seen Detroit kind of hang in there, you know, Matt Patricia having a rough first go at it, kind of figured that would happen with some of the talent he had on that. Defensive side of the ball I don't think it was a complete team yet but again this is another spot where you know I got this line at 10.5 so I think that was obviously you know a little a little better because you can actually win the bet if they win by 10 but I think you still I think 10 is still the play I I think if it goes under 10 uh, I wouldn't feel as comfortable taking Detroit but I think at, at 10 I'm still going with these home dogs you know so home dogs of seven or more points late in the season are sixty three forty four and four against the spread. Um, and then when you the same same trends from before when you have these teams with a with an 8 percent or more winning percentage, December on you know betting against them one twenty three ninety five and two since two thousand and three. So again, trends on your side. Market loves these uh, loves these darlings like the Saints, the Rams, the Chiefs. This is the time when. You embrace the contrarian strategy to the fullest and you take your chances with these underdogs. Yeah. This is the same version of the conversation we had earlier. I can't (laughs)
0: like, I can't bet on Detroit, you know, like I know this is the sharp (laughs) side, but uh, I just, I can't bet on that team, but I'm, I also don't want to bet on the Rams to cover like for two things. One, they haven't been good in terms of market expectations like against the spread this year. They've been a very mediocre team. They they're 4-5 and 2. You know, yeah. like I, I don't I don't want to back them right now. But I do feel pretty confident in their ability to score points. So obviously I'm going I'm to take the over on their team total 32 and a half. The thing is that even with Damon Harrison now manning the middle of that defensive line, they've gotten better at stopping opposing running attacks, but that hasn't really translated into stopping opponents from scoring points right yeah opposing teams are still scoring points on them <laughs> because their pass defense is right. terrible right <laughs> so, so I think you know I, I think regardless of whether it's like oh you know they're going to be able to stop Todd Gurley like one I don't know if they will too I don't know if that even matters Uh, I think the Rams will still be able to score points like since McVeigh joined the Rams so since last season they've been better than any other team in the league at hitting their implied point total so I I trust them to be able to do that they do that I believe, over 75% of the time. So that's, for me, that's the the easy bet to make, especially because I don't trust that uh,
2: Detroit defense. How, how, like, how much weight do you put on, like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but from what I remember, Detroit is playing in some really low-scoring games where they're just kind of mucking the whole game up. Um, how much do you think that factors into this game With the Rams, do you think the Rams are going to be able to just kind of go run up and down the field and it's going to be more of a fast-paced game or do you think Detroit is going to be able to kind of slow it down? Because I could totally see like a 28-10. to Yeah,
0: I I think that could happen. If it's 28-10, to I still kind of like have faith that like the Rams can still get like one more touchdown out of that. Like, So even if Detroit slows it down a little bit, even if the Rams get one less possession than they might in in a faster-paced game, I still would rather if I had to pick a bet on this game I would still go with them scoring points mm-hmm. as opposed to like Detroit scoring enough to cover or the Rams scoring enough to cover and then I just kind of don't even want to take a side on the like the game total because I could see like Detroit really screwing that up either way you know what i mean like so i just i kind of want to try to stay as far away from detroit in the equation of thinking about this as possible it's
2: it's crazy how quickly i feel like the, the narrative or the opinion whatever you want to call it kind of changed on on matthew stafford because i feel like you know coming he was always thought of as this kind of like Okay, he's never really had the defense, but he has a lot of talent. He's kind of this really good quarterback. We just need to get him on a good team with a good coaching staff, and, and he'll be a good quarterback. And it's like now everyone kind of looks at Matthew Stafford, ah, this guy, this is Matthew
0: Stafford. The, the Golden Tate absence is very noticeable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right, next game, Ravens at Falcons. Falcons favored by one and a half, a 48-point over-under. The Ravens have won two straight games and Lamar Jackson starts. The Falcons have lost three in a row. And actually, this game opened amazingly. The Falcons is two and a half point dogs. And that very quickly got bet to the other side. Chris, what are your thoughts on this game?
2: Well, I think the first thing, anytime you talk about the Atlanta Falcons and betting on the Atlanta Falcons, they've become a team, at least this season, that you have to start considering where the game is being played. Because now we're... 11 games into the season for the Falcons. And it's pretty clear that for whatever reason, they're just not as focused. I don't know if it's focused. I don't know if it's preparation. I don't know what it is. But when they go on the road, they just don't play well. But they're back at home for this game. They're in the Dome. And they average 30 points per game at home, 20 points per game on the road. And, I mean, you saw that play out on Thanksgiving where it was just like mistake after mistake Literally right in front of the goal line. I know. They, I know. <laughs> all all those turnovers right. right at the goal line. It was horrible. I mean, it was like, I don't know if that Thanksgiving game, like, made anyone happy by the end of it. Because, I mean, if you had, like, Drew Brees, you're like, I mean, he has great, he has four touchdowns, but they all went to nobodies, and he only has, like, 170 yards. And then if, you, if you had the Falcons or, or Matt Ryan, you're like, okay, well, great. He threw for some yards, but, like, he should have had, like, two or three more touchdowns. So it was just, it was an ugly game, but in this one, I do like the Falcons here, you know, another line that I got at a much better uh, price. I I actually got this, I think once at plus one and then another time at a pick'em for Atlanta. So now, you know, a little bit of the value has been bet out of it, but you know, I still think they are the better team. I think with the home field advantage, I still feel comfortable going to, you know, at this 1.5 number, probably wouldn't go much higher than two, but I, I think the key is just Atlanta can score points at home. They play a lot better. Thirty-point per game team at home. I'm just not convinced that this Lamar Jackson offense, as good as it, as successful as it has been, I guess I'll say, if they get in a hole early in the game, if, if Atlanta is up 14 to nothing or, or 21 to seven or something like that, which is very possible, I'm not convinced that they can kind of throw their way back in the game, and I'm not convinced that you know it's going to be quite as effective for them to just run the ball at that point in the game because then it, you know it's 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 a lot easier to defend. That's what worries me about this uh, offense. What do you think about, like, you know, like, let's say Lamar gets in a hole. What do you think about, like, Baltimore's ability, I guess, to dig themselves out of it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it could
0: happen. I think part of Lamar's problem as a rookie quarterback, um, well, there are a couple things, but one, instead of looking to check down when the, like, the first pass isn't there, he's looking to run. But he's, so he's kind of, like, looking deep or looking to run. And I think, like, that inclination, like, that is conducive maybe to being able to come back from behind because either, like, they might get a long touchdown, like, he he might be fine kind of airing it out or he might be in a situation where he's able to pick up, like, pretty significant chunks of yardage with his legs. So, like, maybe he could get them back. It's just a question of not so much can he score the points because I think maybe they could. It's just I don't know if their defense – on the road would be able to get the necessary stops for them to make significant ground in coming back. You know what I mean? But like I'm with you on, on this, I'm going with Atlanta and I, I bet this like you, I bet this at, at a better number, but I'm still comfortable at this number. I feel better about the possibility. And I should say, I think it's a probability of Atlanta scoring 28 points or more relative to the possibility of uh, the Ravens scoring 26 points. I think Atlanta has a really good chance of getting to 28 points. I don't think the Ravens have all that good of a chance of getting to 26 points. So I feel, I feel pretty decent about the one and a half here.
2: Absolutely. And I think that, but I think that just goes back into the fact that if you have two good running teams that usually inflate like correlates with a higher uh, total, like, but only to a point where it's like, there's a time when these, these running plays become, not conducive to keeping up with the other team. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Yeah. All right. Final game here: Vikings at Patriots. Patriots favored
0: by five and a half. A 49.5 over under. The Vikings are fighting for a playoff spot. The
2: Pats are fighting for a bye week in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on this game? I mean, you know, the Vikings got me. I was trying to be a little contrarian. I, I thought Aaron Rodgers would get it done in the big spot, but you know, that team obviously has more problems than uh, than, than just uh, you know what's going on on the offense and, and whatnot. So. Uh, you know, now here, Tom, Br- I think this line is pretty good. First of all, I'll say that. Like I, I have the total at 49 and a half and I have the spread at five. And so the line here is five and a half, you know, tiny bit of value on Minnesota. I don't love this bet because I think the Patriots could very well win by a touchdown. Um, you know, just like we saw Minnesota beat Green Bay by last week, you know, with 24, 17, so I don't love it. Um, I, there was some value, I think, on the over-under when it first dropped. I think it came out at, what, 48 and has been bet up. So, yeah. Right now, this is just a game where I think, you know, everyone's kind of talking about Tom Brady in, in a lot of different contexts. Is he still a good fantasy quarterback? Uh, is he still a good real quarterback? I think it was Chris Wessling that, um, that said he was no longer a good old quarterback. Um, and, and now everyone's talking about he's not a good fantasy quarterback. I think, I think that he's fine. I I think that um, he's made a lot of good throws this year. Um, you know, uh, some, I forget who it was, but uh, one of the PFF guys was at, I actually saw them do a video where they're talking about how a lot of his best throws that he's made this year have actually fallen incomplete. So, um, you know, just not showing up on the stat sheet, but I think, you know, this team has a lot of different ways to beat you. And I think that's key against the Vikings because the Vikings, they can run out a pretty good defense at you man for man, but There's always going to be those spots, whether it's, you know, at the linebacker position or, you know, whatnot where you can tight ends generally um, have some success against Minnesota, especially if you can keep them in their base packages. So I I think the Patriots have enough chess pieces and enough know-how with the coaching staff, which is key. When you play a team like uh, a Mike Zimmer team with talent, that's key. Um, You're not going to be a poorly coached team and really, and, and beat a Mike Zimmer team. So I like the Patriots in this spot to win the game, but I have them again at five and the line we're talking here is five and a half. So I'm going to pick the Vikings.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you in that. This is, I'd say like really thin edges, either way, kind of regardless of how you're betting this, Um, these lines feel pretty good to me. So like in terms of like real betting, like I'm, I'm staying away from this game unless there's some pretty significant line movement. Um, But for the the purposes of this conversation, if I had to lean away, I would take the under 49 and a half. And it's more of just like a gut feeling, you know, informed, I guess, a little bit by some data. But, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the Vikings, they are good on defense. uh, And I think they have a defense that is good at different levels. So I think they can combat enough of what the Patriots look to do. And I think they will probably try to slow the game down to take the ball away from Brady. And then, you know, over the last half decade, Brady, even when he's been at home, hasn't been nearly as good in the second half of the season as he has been in the first half of the season. And, you know, maybe it's like a temperature thing. Maybe it's just like he's wearing down as the season <laughs> progresses, like what, you know, whatever it is, you know, and sometimes often there's like correlation with whether Gronk is healthy at yeah. that point of the yeah. season, or not like there are lots and you know like one point edelman was out in one of these seasons in the second half of the season so there are lots of like over overlapping variables that factor into all of this but i mean it, it is something
2: with brady he's uh, just not quite as good in the second half of seasons I, I would actually push back and say i would venture to to guess that a lot of it is due to gronk consistently having you know uh, getting hurt and then missing like the second part of seasons more than not more than the first, and also Edelman doing it like one or two times as well. Like I would think that accounts. I would say that accounts for like a good percentage if you like you looked at the R squared or whatever of that. Like I don't think there's like a a Brady Brady's just like wearing down repeatedly season after season. I mean, look at his performances in the playoffs and the Super Bowls. I mean, forget like he threw for five hundred yards last last playoff game we saw him in. Like I don't think he's slowing down. I think I think it's just the Patriots have had problems staying healthy with their best players, which is why, you know, in this one, I think, you know, I was on board with kind of the total being bet up a little bit because I actually did have it at, at 49.5 and that's, that is not where it came out. It's so like, I, like I do get you with the gut feel because I think, I think Minnesota's a really good third down defense. They're very, they're really good in situational defense, period. And anytime you have a a, situ, a good two good teams, and then you have a, one of them is good in situational defense, regression is likely. And so that the other team that you're used to scoring a lot of points, the Patriots may not. And so I do get it from that angle. Um, but I don't think like there's a, a a Brady just like something happens to him in the second half of the season. Like I I can't I can't get behind that one.
0: All right, I'm I'm going to do a study on this. I'm going to look at the numbers a little bit more. Really? I, I think you're going to be marginally huh? wrong, not okay. not not hugely wrong, but you I think you're going to be a little bit.
2: Wrong. Next pod, next pod, we'll, uh, we'll we'll discuss. Okay, now I have extra work to do. Uh, okay, <laughs>
0: uh, we have the two minute drill next, right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend based sports betting insights.
1: Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with trend of the week.
3: The Oakland Raiders and Detroit Lions are double-digit dogs at home in Week 13. Large home dogs have historically been undervalued, especially late in the season. From December to January, home dogs of 7 or more points have gone 63 and 44 against the spread. That's a 59% win rate since 2003. Casual bettors undervalue teams like the Raiders and Lions because they are out of the playoff picture and overvalue Super Bowl contenders like the Rams and Chiefs. Not only does history suggest L.A. and KC are overrated, but the Action Network NFL model agrees. Our projections have the Chiefs winning on average by 10 points and the Rams by 5 points. More than 70% of spread tickets are on the favorites, but smart money will take the dogs.
0: That was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris. two minutes there's no there's no way but whatever and the remaining non-prime time games we're going to hit those in two
2: minutes or as close as we can get falcons two minutes you know like like the, the falcons <laughs> Thanksgiving version of two minutes right exactly okay here we go
0: the browns at the texans texans favored by six a 47.5 over under the browns have won two straight games for the first time in forever and
2: the texans are riding the flukiest
0: of eight game winning streaks
2: that's a whole nother question i'm not even going to get into right now with the texans you know i like me some Texans. i was trying to bait you yeah but but no um so deshaun watson i've got a couple of things here deshaun watson has not thrown uh, more than 25 passes in the last six games that is absurd it's probably smart this is worrisome you know he's been at that 25 or undermark in terms of pass attempts in these last six games and yet he's taken 23 sacks not 3.9 a game that would be the league lead and so like all this like reduced passing volume hasn't actually done what they were trying to do which is decrease the sacks that is a little concerning the offensive line still can be an issue at times Um, but just remember that for fantasy dfs when you're projecting these guys hopkins their their targets like if they're really going to Throw 25 passes a game. 30% of that for a guy like Hopkins is still seven targets. so that's, that's not a lot of targets. And on the other side, Houston has been a smash spot for tight ends all year long. 29th in DVOA against the position. Uh, David Njoku, a plus 4.3 opponent rating on DraftKings. That's opponent plus minus in the Fantasy Labs model. That is a top three mark on the slate among tight ends.
0: 49ers at Seahawks. Seahawks favored by 10, a 46-point over-under. The Seahawks have won two straight. The 49ers are one of the worst teams in the league and playing a third-string quarterback as they travel to Seattle for Richard Sherman's homecoming hashtag revenge game.
2: Yeah. So, uh, one of the uh, good folks on Twitter actually asked me about this one and I had already had the nugget in here. So the question was essentially, you know, why you were very high in David Moore these last couple of weeks. Why are you lower on him this week? And it was simply because where David Moore lines up, he, he lines up uh, 63% of the time across from where Richard Sherman. Would be. Yeah. And not only that, but this day and age, most receivers are moving around a lot. So That 63% of all the receivers on the slate um, is actually the third highest in terms of being in one position on the outside. So uh, this is kind of a a situation where he's not liable to move around a lot, so he probably is going to get caught up in Sherman. And Sherman has been targeted at the lowest rate in the league this year among cornerbacks with any kind of significant playing time, so just not a good spot for him.
0: Totally agree. One thing I would push back a little bit, maybe they actually want to target uh, Sherman a little bit. Just maybe. And David Moore, he might be the type of guy to be able to win that. Like Sherman did allow uh, six receptions on mm-hmm. six targets last week for like 101 yards, 89 of those yards uh, going to Mike
2: Evans. So, right. But I mean, maybe Mike Evans is so much better than and you know i love me some david moore uh (laughs) cheap air yards. but i mean like mike like you throw to mike evans on anyone because he's just big and like he just he's open when he's covered like i i mean i could see it but i think if you if you want to attack sherm if what i would do i would go tyler lockett because i think he'd have trouble with that kind of receiver
0: yeah Uh, i mean david moore obviously isn't as big as richard sherman but like he, he has that big body type of style um all right panthers at buccaneers Panthers favored by three and a half, a 54.5 over-under. The Panthers have lost three straight. The Bucks have lost four or five. A rematch of the Panthers' 42-28 victory in Week 9.
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Wind could be an issue in this game. Pre- uh, forecasts for over uh, 10 miles per hour in terms of wind, which generally drives games toward the under. You also have an interesting one. This is the second game of a division. So between Week 9 and 16, divisional unders 50 points or higher. Um, this is something you guys can check out on the Action Network betting guys as well. uh, Nuggets like this one, but between weeks nine and 16 divisional unders of 50 or higher have gone 41, 18 and one since 03 and covered by nearly five points. So uh, this, you know, still going to be a lot of scoring, even if you subtract five points, but could be a game that's a little lower scoring than people might actually think.
0: The Broncos at the Bengals, Broncos favored by one and a half, a 45 point over under uh, the over under has moved up three points. The Broncos have won two straight games against playoff teams. The Bengals are starting a backup quarterback in Jeff Driscoll.
2: Yeah. So this is not just any backup quarterback. This is uh this is Jeff Driscoll He's a pretty interesting backup quarterback. Uh, you know, he's a guy who he can, he can run a little bit. He can move a little bit. He's, you know, he's got two touchdowns on the ground already this season so i think he's a guy that if you're looking for kind of a contrarian dfs play he's not the worst guy in the world yeah and
0: i said uh broncos favored by one and a half that was way off it yeah was,
2: it's by favor by five right uh,
0: yeah. okay yeah next game uh bill i, I need to fire uh, my producer that was you know whoever put these notes together did a really crappy uh, job. yeah all the way every, like on a weekly basis to whoever's doing the notes and the outline just <laughs> Freaking sucks, yeah, man. Totally mailing it in. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Bills at Dolphins. Dolphins favored by four. A 40-point over-under. The spread opened at negative uh, seven. The Dolphins have lost two straight games but are still fighting for a playoff spot. The Bills have won two straight.
2: Uh, I'll give you two nuggets. The first nugget is that I sat here blankly staring at the screen for a long time before coming up with a nugget. <laughs> yeah, what do you say about this game, truly? Really? <laughs> like, um, so, you know, the interesting thing, I guess, you know, from a fantasy perspective and, and whatnot is that you know, Ryan Tannehill's back, and, you know, so he, he's played six games, and in those six games, Kenny Stills has a 40% air yard share. He's got 500 air yards. No one else on the team has more than 200. The number two and number three guys, Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant, will not be suiting up this weekend. Danny Amado, the number four guy, also doesn't look good. So there's just a lot of air yards kind of left over. One of these guys is going to get Tredavious White in coverage. They move Kenny Stills around pretty equally. so. He's about 33, 33, 33% to all three, you know, left, right slot. So um, I think Kenny Stills, especially with that greasy wheel, might get going um, this week, even though no one's going to ever think twice about this game because it's, it's the Bills on the offense. All right, Cardinals at
0: Packers. Packers favored by 14, a 44.5 over-under. The Cardinals are 2-9 and nine and in the running for the number one overall pick. The Packers have lost two straight, and they really need to run the table to have a shot at the
2: playoffs. Yeah. And by the way, one of those nine losses came against the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Aaron Jones, 79% of the snaps and 43 of the last 48 backfield carries over the last three games. When I did my Rankins model this week, Aaron Jones is the number five running back. And I was very, I was, I was kind of taken aback and, you know, there was like really no tinker I could do to kind of like knock him down. Like he's just, he's just up there for me this week. Um, I think the only concern really is that they blow him out. Also, David Bakhtiari, the tackle for the Packers, uh, he is banged up, might not play. He's the number two tackle in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. Also number one in pass blocking, number 20 in run blocking. So this could be a situation where they actually lean on the run more, and I am actually kind of leaning toward the under in this game, if anyone out there is curious.
0: In this next game, Jets at Titans. Titans favored by eight, a 40.5 over under. The spread has dropped from 105 these are two teams really no one cares
2: about. <laughs> I mean, I give credit to the Titans; they actually made that Monday Monday night, right? Yeah, Monday night game pretty interesting. I mean, I think Mariota was like sixteen of his first sixteen or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I, but it's twenty eighteen. Eli Manning goes seventeen for eighteen, so I guess that's not really a big deal. But it, for this one, Mariota, if you if you're you know in DFS, I think he might you know people are going to consider him as a, a value, and I think he he is definitely in play. But one thing to consider: Mariota tends to do well in situations where he needs to score points and come back. When he's been a favorite of more than a field goal, he actually has a negative 2.3 plus minus. And that's despite a 66% consistency rating. So that essentially means it's all floor and no upside. Yeah, pretty unenticing. Okay, last game here.
0: Bears at Giants. The Bears favored by four, a 44.5 over under. Trubisky is out for the Bears who have won five straight. The Giants are riding the Eli Manning train (laughs) to nowhere.
2: Yeah, I think because of that, people probably aren't going to look at this game in DFS either. But Odell Beckham is actually priced below 8K on DraftKings. And there's been five times in his career where he's been priced in the 7,000. So I didn't want to just look at under 8K because that would obviously be his rookie years. And then, you know, it would just kind of throw things off. So in the 7,000s, he's been priced there five times. And he has hit value in four of those times, 80% of the time plus 5.9 plus minus and 23.4 drafting points per game in those games. So really good case for him uh, as a, as a tournament player this week.
0: All right. Coming up is our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy, right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week.
1: Money talks and action. Applebaum is all ears. This is the sharp report.
3: NFL Week 13. We are traveling to Detroit, Michigan for a one o'clock showdown between the LA Rams and Detroit Lions. This game opened with the Rams as a minus 10 favorite, and they are currently the most lopsided play of the week. They're getting almost 80% of spread bets with recreational bettors fighting as fast as they can to lay the points and get down on the Rams and what they think will be a blowout. However, sharps are buying low on detroit take one look at the record rams are 10 and 1 however they're only four five and two against the spread meanwhile the lions are four and seven but yet they are six and five ats however the real reason sharps like detroit here uh they seek a bit of a trap spot Uh, detroit is only getting 21 percent of bets but 40 percent of dollars so telling you that the bigger sharper wagers here are grabbing the points of detroit not laying them i've also seen a really sharp line freeze in this game so even though you have 8 out of 10 bets, overwhelming public support on the Rams. This line opened at 10, and really, it's remained at 10. In fact, you've even seen it dip down to 9.5. Uh, right now, uh, it's at 10 at Bookmaker and Pinnacle, but the juice is 10 minus 115 for the Lions, so it looks like it may fall off that key number of 10, down to 9.5. and a have been hammering Detroit all week long. Uh, they got down hard on uh, Detroit early at Chris. Buckeye, then they came back. On the Lions at ABC, Heritage, Chris again, Sportsbook, the Orleans, as well as GT Bets. So, using our Sports Insights bet signals, we've tracked almost nine overall steam and reverse line moves on Detroit. So, that overload of sharp action has made the line stay at 10, even though you have that overwhelming public support on the Rams. Detroit also is in a sneaky good spot. It's actually really profitable to fade. Uh, West Coast favorites going east for a 1 o'clock game. So kind of the the body clock of an NFL player going almost all cross country for an early game uh, usually is a good fade spot. Teams in that position, if you fade West Coast favorites at 1 o'clock games going east, uh, it's 59.5% ATS, and Detroit would match that spot. Uh, And also Detroit is just in a classic contrarian spot. Uh, So, so far this season, teams getting less than 30% of bets are 61% ATS. Uh, and it's even more profitable late in season, uh, large home dogs. So big home dogs, late in season, getting seven points or more at home in January or December. They are 58.1% ATS. So even though the public season, easy, easy Rams blowout win, Sharps are buying
0: low on Detroit at plus 10. All right. that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. Chris, let's dig into the Fantasy Labs models. Uh, Let's look at the ownership projections in there, obviously provided by Adam Levitan. And let's think about who out of these guys we might want to roster, who we might want to pivot away from. Let's start at the quarterback position. Two quarterbacks, high projection totals uh, in terms of ownership. Cam Newton, Jameis Winston playing against each other in that game. Uh, You mentioned there were potential win concerns uh, and also second game uh, against each other this year. What are you looking to do with those quarterbacks?
2: I think I am going to be paying attention to the forecast and here's the reason why. If you sort by projected ownership in our models at quarterback, you know, you have you have Newton Winston Jackson Mahomes. All three of them besides Jackson have a projected plus minus of at least 5.4. Jackson's projected plus minus is 2.5, right? So, essentially what our models are telling us right here with this one is that Lamar Jackson seems like the like the nut play, like the easy like just plug and forget it, but he's actually Probably the worst play of those four guys that we just mentioned to play, just from a pure value standpoint. And so, uh, you know, because of that, I think I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking that forecast because I would like to play um, one of the other quarterbacks. I think if I have to, I'm fine with getting up to Cam. I mean, these quarterback prices don't really, they're not really too separated on DraftKings to where. It's like, okay, I'm paying sixty six hundred for Cam or you know, six six K for for Winston. That's not usually it's not gonna be a a huge deal at this point in the season, especially when there's some value at the other position. So I, I right now I probably if I had to just go with one, I'd probably go Cam Newton just because even if there is win are win concerns, excuse me, you know, he's a, a mobile quarterback. He scores a lot of his fantasy points on the ground. I, I still feel pretty good about him. Um, and then you know, there's always Jared Goff, but that's just that's just a game where that large spread. You never know what what could kind of happen. But I mean, Jared Goff has been the top fantasy quarterback over this kind of second half of the season, so I wouldn't have a problem playing Goff, but probably leaning towards Newton right now.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Lamar Jackson, and it seems like one of the reasons for starting him would be the high rushing floor that he has. But if it's gotten to the point where, uh, from a value perspective, he doesn't really give you as much as you think he might that's fine. It's the type of situation where you don't have to play him. You can, you can bet like his rushing prop instead, you know, oh, yeah. like th- there are ways to get exposure.
2: And yeah. I should say, th- I should say this. So, you know, our models use like a, a Pocota, which is like the baseball model, uh SIM score method for the foreign ceilings, where we're kind of looking at similar players to the player we have projected and, and how that player has done. in you know, his mo- like the 30 most similar games. And um, we kind of derive floor and ceiling from that. And Lamar Jackson of those four quarterbacks we just mentioned, actually has the lowest floor and it's not even close 5.9 as as we uh, record this all the other three quarterbacks that we mentioned Winston Newton and Mahomes have at least an 11.7 so there there's just still because Jackson is such an unknown there's still this kind of um, disaster factor that you know you know could happen I don't think it will but um, it's just not as like a, a smash play as you might think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, based on the, the factors that go into the model uh, for projecting floor and ceiling, like he's, he's probably comparable to guys like Tim Tebow or something like that. You know, like those are probably, those are probably like some, some of the, the guys for whom like he's at this point, like kind of being compared. And it's like that, I mean, you, you can see like the floor that's right there. So it's anyway, but I, I will for rushing prop, I will definitely be looking at that and I will be using the fantasy labs prop tool. Which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, aka the odds maker. Uh, this season, the NFL props with a bet quality of ten or 91, and nine, good for a hit rate of sixty-six percent. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs, where you can get a five-day trial for just fifteen ninety-five. Chris, any other quarterbacks to talk about?
2: So Andrew Luck. I mean, he's still he's at fifty-eight hundred on DraftKings. The touchdowns are there every game. People probably won't be too enthused about playing him because it's the Jacksonville Jaguars who do have a good defense, but you know, I think you keep riding Andrew Luck in this spot. um, You know, especially if you're getting low ownership and a, I mean, he's cheaper than Lamar Jackson for goodness sakes.
0: Yeah, definitely someone who's intriguing there. And I think you're right. I think his ownership will be reduced because of the the matchup. Uh, Let's pivot to running backs. We talked about Todd Gurley a little bit at Detroit, Uh, obviously, by the way, He is number one in our rankings. Subscribers can find our rankings each week at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. Thoughts on how to approach Gurley? I think it's, for most people, they're going to be rostering either Gurley or Christian McCaffrey or Kareem Hunt.
2: How are you approaching those three? I'm trying to jam Gurley in if I can. I mean, there's a chance that I might end up with two of these guys because Kareem Hunt at 7,800 is kind of at a price point where you don't necessarily, he's not like, super super expensive but another guy I really want a roster that'll probably end up on all my teams is Aaron Jones I, I just kind of mentioned him you know I know they're you know the O line is a little banged up but uh, I, I think they're going to lean on the run I think this is a team you can run on in the Cardinals and I think the game script even if things don't go exactly according to plan um still f- favors Jones in an in a variety of ways so I think at 6,700 on DraftKings He's kind of a middle-tier guy that that you want to look at. And then you kind of, depending on the build, trying to get up to Gurley, don't mind playing McCaffrey at all, though.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Obviously, for Jones, a big home favorite, and going against a Cardinals team that, I mean, maybe their defense isn't actually, like, the worst in the league against their run, but just because they've been in games where they're behind, other teams can just run against them at will. So they've allowed, if not the most fantasy points in the league, to opposing running backs, like a top three mark, to opposing backfields. So uh, they definitely are vulnerable there. And Aaron Jones is someone who's intriguing Two other guys who are probably, at least right now uh, looking like they could be on significant numbers of lineups, Carlos Hyde and Philip Lindsay, both on the cheaper side.
2: How are you approaching those two? Hyde is a guy that he's probably going to make it too because I think he's just kind of like taking the free square. Um, we don't know exactly how the backfield will break down between Hyde and TJ Yeldon in Leonard Fournette's absence, but I think you know Hyde is kind of a, for better or worse, a, a, a one-for-one replacement for Fournette to where you kind of slide him in that role and you continue doing what you were doing with TJ Yeldon, which is you know utilizing him in the passing game now. We have a new quarterback. So there are kind of a lot of moving pieces and there are game script concerns here. But when you're talking about a guy, a running back with 17, 20 touch upside, goal line carry upside for thirty three hundred. I think you you just take that, especially in cash games and tournaments. Obviously, you're trying to hit the top three highest scoring uh, or top two running backs on the slate if you know if at all possible and so you're obviously going to be pivoting there i think that that favors Lindsay a lot more it favors guys in the middle tier a lot more guys like aaron jones and and those guys over you know jamming in a mccaffrey or a, or a hunt or somebody like that in the high end always think that the middle tier plays are where the leverage is in tournaments but just for a cash game i think you're fine with with going with carlos hyde if you need him okay Let's go to wide
0: receiver. One guy who is near the top of our projections, if actually not at the top of our projections for ownership, Corey Davis uh, going against the New York Jets. Uh, obviously, he has that Monday night football discount uh, and that his salary came out before the the, uh, the Titans played on Monday night
2: football. How are you approaching him? So this kind of goes, relates to what we just talked about with Mariota, where Corey Davis caught a long touchdown last week. Uh, I believe the play was a very high air yard play as well. And that's just a situation that it might not happen against the Jets. So I'm a little bit wary weir- of it with Davis just because this could just be one of those normal Titans games where nothing much happens at all for either team. And that, like most of Davis's big games, have come in situations where, you know, not that they were necessarily trailing, but against better kind of offensive teams that you at least need to be a little bit aggressive against uh, in terms of the Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys. Whereas I don't know how to feel about the Jets. So I'm a little wary about it, but I don't hate it because at the end of the day, you know, you still follow the the targets and the air yards. And Corey Davis has been right around 30% all year in terms of target share and and air yard share for the Tennessee Titans, because they really don't have any anywhere else to go with the football. So I don't hate it, but i am he's not a guy that I'm trying to land on if I can help it.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, Chris, just to follow up on what you're saying, as you were talking, I was looking at the models and I noticed that Levitan has actually updated the projections and bumped Corey Davis down a little bit. So yeah, something for people to keep in mind. And also a reason for people to subscribe to Fantasy Labs to look at our models because we do update our ownership projections regularly throughout the week based on what we are hearing around the industry. Yeah. Uh, on how people are and, talking about guys. So,
2: and I just gotta, you know, give a real shout out to my dude, Sean corner. Um, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of with you guys on the Wednesday pod. So I don't get to talk to him quite as much, but, um, he's been really killing it with the models, uh, this year on Fantasy labs. Like, I yeah. think if you were ever thinking about subscribing to Fantasy labs, um, is the time. Cause Sean is not just doing NFL. Like he's, he's doing the models like for everything. Yeah. Like he, and, um, I, you know, like last week actually, I was noticing it a bunch because uh, I believe I jumped on the the pod with Ian on uh, the, the Monday pod and we recorded out late Sunday night and was just talking about, I forget what the exact scenario was, but I believe it was the winning Millie lineup had whatever, whoever the two chalk running backs were, was it like a uh, Barkley and somebody else of all the top running backs, like our models literally had the exact right order of, of which running back you should Fade and play, and it worked out exactly like that. And then um, I wrote about on the with the showdown slate with the Houston Monday, Tennessee Monday night game, how I thought it was interesting that on FanDuel, like our models essentially said, "Hey, play Deshaun Watson over DeAndre Hopkins." And that's something like you don't necessarily because, you know, Watson has actually had the lower floor this year. Hopkins has been the more consistent guy. And sure enough, there it goes again. You know, Watson is the play. So i um, just kind of nailing like the one V one decisions that you have to make with a lot of accuracy. So shouts to Sean. And, and yeah, definitely check out those models at Labs.
0: OK, one guy who has moved up in uh, our models, Kenny Galladay, uh, obviously playing in that game, uh, high scoring game uh, in Detroit on the other side of which you have Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. All three of those guys now have high ownership projections in the models. What are your thoughts on Galladay and then on the duo of Rams wide receivers?
2: I would much rather play both of the Rams receivers before Galladay, only because, especially with Cooper Cup out, we have seen just on a consistent basis these guys put put up numbers and put up floors. Um, Even if they don't hit a ceiling, they're putting up a floor. Whereas Gallaudet has kind of been like hit or miss. Like he's usually hit, but he has missed a little bit more. Uh, and, and against a, a team where he's like, again, talked about it earlier, but he's the only guy. And anytime you're the only guy, you have a defense that has not been good, but a defense that can get pressure. And that's the one thing that the Lions are trying to kind of, work through and avoid because uh, you know that that they don't really have those the same kind of outlet guy in Tate you know they, they they do have Riddick they're they're using Ellington in that role but if the Rams are getting pressure on Stafford there's a chance that Ellington ends up catching like the eight balls instead of Galladay or something like that. So I, I feel a little better in cash games playing these Rams receivers with, uh, you know, getting coached by Sean McVay going against the bad defense because there's only so many places the Rams are going with the ball. They're not the only other guy they're really putting out there is, is Josh Reynolds and you know, the tight ends kind of mix in here and there and girl is going to catch some passes, but it's a very concentrated offense. So you can kind of rely on cooks and woods to put up digits every week. And they're still kind of priced in that range where you can afford, uh, you can afford them. Okay, uh,
0: one more wide receiver we are projecting for high ownership. DJ Moore going against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, obviously one of the worst teams in the league in pass defense, and then they, they on top of that, they have a secondary and really just a whole defense that is significantly injured. And DJ Moore, especially over the last two weeks, is really starting to come into his own, flashing a lot of the potential that you know made him a first-round draft pick in the first place.
2: What are you doing with him? He's another one where I don't feel quite as confident playing him. The models kind of bear that out as well. Of all the players projected for double-digit ownership or thirteen to sixteen percent or more in ownership, Moore and Stephon Diggs are the only two out of the uh, seven guys at wide receiver who don't have a projected plus-minus of at least three point three points. So he's down at one point seven. Um, just not quite as good of a value, and then you look at the ownership, and it's the second highest ownership projection right now, obviously that will you know continue to be updated as the the weekend progresses. but what essentially, what the models are telling you is kind of what i I kind of, my gut feel is as well, which is that just not really a lot of leverage there to playing him, kind of one of those chalk plays that we feel good about, but we can't really be too confident in we, you know, we have a pretty small sample. Uh, as far as you know his career in this league and you know i think he could very well have a big game but he could also have another one of those games like he had against pittsburgh where he had five targets and four catches for 20 yards so um he's a guy i'll probably try to get off of as well just for because he's not really a a slam dunk value to where you need to uh you need to jam him in or or make sure you have him
0: yeah wide range of outcomes a really low floor uh let's talk about tight ends There are three guys who are really catching my eye here. Travis Kelsey against Oakland. Oakland, one of the worst teams in the league in past defense against tight ends. Eric Ebron going against Jacksonville. You know, a good spot for him in that now it seems uh, obviously injury concerns with him, so we need to check that. A good situation with him in that Jack Doyle is now out. So Eric Ebron should be getting a lot of the tight end work there. Uh, And Luck is a quarterback who historically has favored his tight ends. And then uh, Matt Lacoste as an injury fill-in at the the minimum price on DraftKings going against a Cincinnati defense that has been exploited by tight ends. So uh, those are the three guys. What are your thoughts on them?
2: I think Ebron, he's going to be a very high-owned guy. That's the guy I would feel a lot less comfortable about pivoting away from. Um, I know he does have kind of this, uh, you know, as any tight end does, I guess, has a a pretty wide range of outcomes. He could conceivably have a zero-catch game even healthy even with Doyle out Moali Cox or whoever else is the second tight end could end up having the big game Um, that's not out of the question I think it was uh, they've had 17 different PPR games of at least eight points this year and like five of them have not even been from Doyle or Ebron so like this is a team that you know Luck does know how to get the ball to the tight end he does it well but for that exact same reason when you have a guy like Ebron priced where he is which is cheap because tight ends are generally cheap I mean he's 56 on sandal 42 on DraftKings. the upside is just too high I think to pass that up or to try to save a couple of dollars and throw somebody else in there when Ebron's probably the best ceiling play as well uh, you know outside of Travis Kelsey but especially when you take into account the salaries that you're paying for, for a Kittle or a, a Kelsey versus Ebron, you know, further down there. I think he's a guy that you just want to um, get in if you, if you can.
0: I do agree with you. One thing that is interesting of note, so on the, the Wednesday podcast, one of the props that Sean Corner offered was Eric Ebron's ownership percentage, and 30 was the line that he set. So I took the under on that. Uh, CSU Ram took the under on that. I would be curious to know what your thoughts are. Obviously uh, I don't want to give away in the, uh, the models where, where right, right. Adam Levitan is leaning on his own <laughs> projection. But uh, what, what are your thoughts about wow. about 30 as the line to corner set?
2: I know, of course being Sean, it's, it's a good line. Uh, I, I would probably go over because I think what you tend to see in these tournaments is uh, when there is a kind of a chalk tight end ownership does flock to them. And, the thing about it is, though, you, you've you been able to – if you look at the winning Millie lineups and whatnot and, uh, you know, you listen to the, the Monday pod where me and Ian break it down, a lot of times you you get away with that chalk tight end, even if he doesn't completely smash because it's just so hard to kind of, number one, like be perfect about the tight end and still like nail the other eight picks in your lineup. And since the tight end is like the cheapest, like them or the defense is usually where you can get away with not being as perfect. You usually want to nail – those seven like you know the quarterback the running backs and the wide receivers so I'm fine with Ebron either way I think there's definitely some pivot opportunities if you're talking about tournaments I mean you have David Njoku in in that spot like I mentioned against Houston they've been giving up production all year to tight end you still have Cameron Brait going against Carolina who's also been extremely vulnerable to the tight end position and that and there's there's more where that came from so um, there's definitely options but I, I don't mind the high ownership for Ebron here.
0: All right. We are going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment previewing Sunday night football. But first let's kick it to Ian Harditz who runs through the key week 13 coverage situations.
1: The press, the jam and the five yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you
3: dance of the divas.
1: There are 10 key shadow matchups between wide receivers and cornerbacks for week 13. Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson will face off with James Bradbury and Dante Jackson for the Panthers. Bradbury's one, 210 pounds, and locked up Evans in their first matchup. And Dante Jackson has legit 4'3'' speed to hang with D-Jax. T.Y. Hilton and Jalen Ramsey will face off for the fourth time since the beginning of last season. Ramsey's basically won their first three battles, but he's dealing with a knee injury. Tyler Boyd and Chris Harris will see plenty of each other in the Bengals and Broncos matchup. A.J. Green's potential return from a toe injury could impact this a little bit, but either way, both Boyd and Harris spend most of their time in the slot. DeAndre Hopkins and Denzel Ward should see plenty of each other in the Texans versus Browns. The Browns have mixed up their number one wide receiver coaches this season, and while Hopkins can win any matchup, I just worry about his upside in the Texans' new local run first offense. Brandon Cooks should see plenty of Darius Slay in the Lions-Rams game. Slay's a legit 4-3-40 guy capable of hanging with Cooks, but indoor Brandon Cooks has averaged more receptions, yards, and touchdowns compared to outdoor. Devontae Adams should be shadowed by Patrick Peterson on the outside, but Adams should be able to escape in the slot for plenty of reps, and I mean he scored a touchdown and or gained 100 plus yards in 25 of 34 games with Aaron Rodgers since 2016. Josh Gordon will see Xavier Rhodes on the outside if Rhodes can suit up through his hamstring injury. I like Rhodes to in the matchup, if he's healthy, considering Gordon joins Kelvin Benjamin and Allen Robinson as the only receivers averaging fewer than two yards of separation per target. Stefan Diggs will face off with Stefan Gilmore. If he's able to suit up, Diggs is dealing with a knee injury. Adam Thielen's position better from the inside, anyway. Antonio Brown should see plenty of Casey Hayward, who's had a pretty easy slate of uh, shadow matchups this season, but AB will be his toughest by far and has 11 touchdowns in 11 games. My favorite matchup of the week is Emmanuel Sanders versus the Bengals. Bengals had the league's worst scoring defense and have been torn up by slot receivers all season, including Juju Smith-Schuster, Muhammad Sanu, and T.Y. Hilton. I like Emmanuel Sanders to have plenty of success in the slot, and now that he's got sudden field stretching for him on the outside, more goodness should be available in the future. That was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback
0: matchup column each week at the Action Network. Oh, Chris, Sunday Night Football, Chargers at Steelers. Steelers favored by three, a 51.5 over-under, this game was flexed into prime time. Thank the fantasy gods. Uh, Chargers have won seven of eight. The Steelers have won six of seven. Amazingly, both teams have lost to the Broncos in the past
2: two weeks. What are your thoughts on this game? I mean, first, well, Vance Joseph has definitely turned it around. I think he also <laughs> covered against the Chiefs. So like, yeah. he's covered against all of the best teams in the week. <laughs> so <laughs> shouts to Vance Joseph. But as far as this game, you know, I think the line is, is pretty fair. The total is pretty fair. This is one where I think it's going to come down to – Pittsburgh's back at home. We know they always kind of have their their meltdowns and their letdown games on the road. So I expect them to come out and play well in this game. I think that the Chargers pose a a formidable foe in terms of their defense. I think their defense is pretty solid. But at the end of the day, Big Ben is getting the ball out faster than any quarterback in the league this season, 2.37 seconds to uh, attempt per pro football focus. And so I think that whatever kind of, uh, you know, pass rush situations the Chargers can kind of throw at them, or even on the back end, because the Chargers also have some good corners, they can cover pretty well. But, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has some pretty good receivers and when you talk about Juju and, of course, Antonio Brown. So I am weaning Pittsburgh minus three here, but I think this is a pretty good line. Uh, but I'll, I'll bet on the, the home team when they're a team like the Steelers who tends to, to show up best at home.
0: I'm with you there. If I were going to take a side, I would do Pitt, even though they're, you know, they're laying the three points on the staff favorites piece. that's going to be coming out on Friday. The one that I picked is, uh, and I'm, I'm probably on the wrong side of this, but whatever, I, I don't care. I'm going with the over 51 and a half. And a lot of it is, uh, just based on the fact that the Steelers are at home in the, you know, like Antonio Brown is an all pro era. So like since 2014, since they've kind of had this this version of the offense, they have really outperformed at home. Everyone knows that, but it's it's really made their overs kind of like one of the like lock bets of like the, the past half decade. They are in just sort of basic situations at home, Roethlisberger is starting, they are 21 and 10 in terms of hitting the over when you take that outside of division so that they're playing someone who isn't really comfortable with them or familiar with them, they are 15 and six. Uh, That's a a 38.5% ROI if you're looking at the bet labs tools. So it's not to say that that is something that you just sort of lock in, but I think that this is a situation where the Steelers are highly motivated, right? They have a shot at the number two seed. They just got embarrassed last week. They need to regroup. Uh, You have the Chargers who are in a similar situation, really looking to make the push to make the playoffs, both teams looking to score points. I think this will be a game that, I I mean, I don't want to say, like, it soars past the over, but, like, I I don't know. Like, I, I feel decently confident in this game
2: going over. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, these teams absolutely can put up points. How much do you downgrade the Charger run game if Melvin Gordon is out, which it looks like he is going to be?
0: that that's always kind of hard here's the question do you mean downgrade in terms of like their point potential
2: uh yeah to an extent because uh you know running like i said you know running is it does kind of you know all things being equal if you have two efficient running teams i think people kind of think of like running teams as slowing the game down and then and thus making games score fewer points but in reality what tends to happen is uh if you can run well you stay ahead of the chains you convert more third downs you get further down the field you score more points. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's a huge drop-off. I was just curious if you, if you happen to think there, there might be. Because, I mean, you know, Gordon was playing out of yeah. his mind.
0: Yeah, G- Gordon's <laughs> played really well this year. I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Eckler. So, uh, I, I don't think it's actually that big of a drop-off. Like, I think the drop-off would be big over the course of a season. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would be pretty big because you would start to see Eckler wear down. But mm-hmm. Eckler, combined with Justin Jackson – who has like the fresh rookie legs, like they haven't used him at all to this point in the season, you know, except for last game. Right. So it's like a situation where he's coming in uh, and he's a very good receiving back too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's the the possibility that the offense won't be much worse, you know, without Melvin Gordon. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's a pretty decent situation there. Chris, okay, Uh, the show has gone long. You're going to break down the Monday night game with Ian on our next show. Do you have any final words? Let's get this money. All right, that is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Rabon, I am Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. See you again next episode.